Your past is not your future. That's the title of this message. And we're coming at it from Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. You know, as we live our Christian lives, we can be like the character in Victor Hugo's Les Miserables or the wretched ones, John Valjean. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but he steals a piece of bread to help his sister out and ends up getting sent to prison for 20 years. Then he comes out of prison but, and begins to, to uh, work out of that anger and he starts to do bad things. But a bishop shows mercy on him because what he does, he, the bishop gives him a night's rest and he steals all his silverware. And when the police find him now, the bishop, instead of bringing condemnation on him, says, well, actually, I gave him the candlesticks. And he challenges him to do something with his life. But as he goes through his life, there's always this dark shadow of 20 years. And there's this policeman that suspects who he is. And I'm not going to tell you the rest because you need to go and see the show. But the thing is this, that many times, you know, as we walk our lives, our past tends to cast a dark shadow over the present and over the future. You know, as we stand at the cusp of another new year, it's good that we reflect on the past. However, it's, it's not the basis of our future. We're going to look at the book of Ezra, and I'm just going to give you a quick overview, because it, it, it typifies Christ's work of forgiveness and restoration. This morning, I hope we will understand that your past is not your future. Now, just before we get into Ezra, you remember Chris was talking to us from Isaiah chapter 9, and he gave us a wonderful historical background to what was going on at that time, and he set Isaiah in its context. Now, if you know anything about biblical history, at the time of Isaiah, the northern tribes were going into captivity. The Assyrians came and did the job and took them there in 722 BC. And the other two tribes that are up in the south, I'll just quickly go there, Judah and Benjamin, they didn't go into captivity, but they were on course for it. And in 586 BC, well, five, beg your pardon, yes, they actually went into captivity in Babylon. And it was sad. But after all those years, the temple was sacked and they were taken off. And then after 70 years, and Isaiah was prophesying, he prophesied about this, but I'll come back to that. After 70 years, about two or three million people down there, God spoke to Cyrus. Now, Isaiah prophesied 200 years before. Not only about the captivity, but God would use Cyrus to call the people to go back to rebuild the temple. So, in chapters 1 to 6, they go back. Now, here's the amazing thing. Life had become so comfortable in Babylon that out of the 2 to 3 million people that should have gone back, that could have gone back, only 50,000 went back. And you know, it wasn't like they were just going up the road. To leave Babylon to go back to Jerusalem, it was 900 miles. So, you know, if you've got your house in Babylon now and you're comfortable, and, yo, let's go back to Jerusalem, you're thinking, what's wrong with you? It's comfortable here. It's nice. Why would I travel 900 miles? And remember, there's no 
well, Eurostar. <laughs> you know, it's, we're talking by foot or by donkey. So those people that went back, they had a vision to leave their homes in Babylon because after a while, captivity wasn't all that bad. To go back to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, in Ezra chapter 3, when we come in, they've, they've gone back and there's, if you read through, you see all the people that went back, 50,000 people. But we're going to come in at Ezra chapter 3 and this is what it says. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with their trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good and his love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard from afar. So first question, why was there shouting? Well, the text tells us that the foundations of the temple were laid. Now, remember, this is an auspicious occasion for those youngsters who didn't know the past. But, of course, for the elders who remembered the first temple, they weren't particularly happy. You know, I asked the question, why were there two extremes of emotion? Well, the old men looked back and remembered the first temple, what I call the good old days. Yeah, you remember? The, the older you get, and next year is my jubilee year. <laughs> yes, I am 50. <laughs> I know I look awesome, but that's not the point. <laughs> you say, no, can't be. Can't be 50. He looks too good. Well, I have a good Lord. I have a good wife. I have a good family. So I'm blessed. But we have this, we have, we have this ability to what I call, I call it selective amnesia. Yes? I noticed, you know, wives tend to have it. They don't, you know, Eileen say to me, I said to Eileen, but I kissed you yesterday. No, you didn't. I said, but I'm sure I did. But you were at, but am I just talking to myself? Do you not find those of your wives that your husbands, that your wives remember what they want to remember? Selective amnesia. When it suits them. Well, these old gentlemen, these priests, they are selective amnesia. Yes, some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> they just selected, they remembered, and we all do it. As we reflect back over the year, as you reflect, you will remember those things that were good. Or, depending on what your disposition is, you know, glass half empty or half full, you remember the things that didn't go so well. And generally speaking, you know, my wife and I, I'm kind of Mr. Pessimist. I beg your pardon, Mr. Optimist. I always see the, the bright side. I just like half empty, I'm half full, and we make a good balance together. Yeah. But pertaining on where you are, you will tend to look back and reflect on those things that happened in the past. And on the basis of those things, you will have some expectation for the future. What did this selective amnesia produce? Regret. 
regret. Because the things you knew that you should have done last year, you didn't do. Certain things have happened to you and you wish you'd have done better. But you know something? What does regret do to us? It holds us captive. I know people who on the basis of what's happened to them will not do certain things. Some of you, you've spoken things into yourself on the basis of what's happened in the past and because of that, you will never enter into the future. It causes us to be cynical about anything new or different. Oh, that won't work. Don't that be net? It causes us to drive our lives looking in the rearview mirror. Try driving your car looking in the rearview mirror. What happens? You crash. But many of us do that. On the basis of what's happened in the past, we won't move forward. We look back and we say, on the basis of the way that he treated me or she, this, what they did to me at that church and all the rest of it, I'm not going to get involved. <laughs> Try driving your car looking, looking in the rearview mirror. But why drive your life that way? What can we learn? The past can cast a long shadow which can hinder us from embracing what God has for us today. Those priests couldn't embrace what God had for them today because they were still looking back. They remembered the glory years. Yeah. They remembered the temple. They remembered, ooh, I'm being bad, the children of Israel. I I was going to say, the time that we tend to do this is in times of difficulty. Let me take you down to Exodus chapter 14. Don't have to go there. But the children of Israel, they're coming out of Egypt. And things become difficult. And I don't know what's wrong with them after 430 years of slavery. But hear them now to, to Abraham, to Bigipon, to Moses. He says, oh, we want meat. We cannot eat this manna. Oh, that we had the leeks and the onions and the garlic of Egypt. I'm thinking, so you don't remember the whips? You don't remember the pain? You don't remember what you want is onions and leeks and garlic and you want to go back? It's just because things are getting a little difficult. You know, we're eating this manna and we like meat. But that's how we are. You know, we tend to, when things get difficult, we just reflect on the bits that we liked about what was happening in the past. Never mind the fact that for 430 years you were under slavery and you were oppressed and they were ready to kill you, but you want to go back now just because you're having a little bit of difficulty and you want leeks, onion, and garlic, and you want meat. I think you've made the point, haven't I? But don't, don't you find I'm like that, you know. Oh, I'm not sure whether this is the right thing to do. Maybe we should just go back to the way it was before. But would you really want to go back to the way it was before? No, thank you. The past can also stop us embracing the future. You don't have the confidence to go forward 
because of what's happening in the past. And on the basis of what's happened in the past, you're not going to embrace the future because you're sure that that's going to happen again. So I don't want to have any trust or belief that God could do it for me. You know why? Because I don't want to be disappointed. But how can we move forward? That's what I want to focus on this morning. Well, here's the simple things as we move into the new year. Simple things that we can do. One, live in forgiveness. I'm going to unpack these. Two, let God heal the past. Three, find your why. God has a reason for you to be here. You're not here by accident. You're not here just to fill up the pews or to just pay your tithe. God has a reason for you to be here. And press on into the future. So, let's just look at the first one. Live in forgiveness. Matthew 5.44 says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I did say if I were to go around the congregation, each one of us could give stories of people who have sinned against us. I look back into my own life, you know, at work, where people have betrayed me, etc. Or even in church. Yes, even in church, and if you read the book, you'll find that people don't behave themselves the way that they should. They misbehave. If you don't believe me, read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. You will see it. Some of the, some of the, the wounds that you, most of us have received are not just always from people who are outside the church. They're from people in the church. Am I talking to anybody here this morning? In other words, I'm saying we're a community. It's going to happen. Yeah? You know, I didn't know if we sat down, we could tell you some stuff that would, well, my hair is already curled. But the thing is, it would make your hair curl. Of people, of things that people have done to us in the church. And what happens when you start to come to a new church, you bring that stuff with you. And it means you're either going to be a bit suspicious of what goes on in church. Because you don't want to get hurt. You don't want to make yourself vulnerable again. You don't want to work the way that you used to work. And then have someone tell you, no, you've got to step down because such and such. Or have your trust betrayed. You know, you sheared your heart. And then you found that your business is all around the church. I know it doesn't happen here, of course, but the point is this. It can cause you to have a wound and cause you to live in forgiveness and cause you to come to church, do your duty, but never get involved. You know what? Forgiveness, Ephesians says to us, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as Christ in God forgave you. Why did Paul write that? Because he knew that we needed to live in forgiveness. Because he knew that in a community of people, things will go wrong. Forgiveness releases you from the anger of bitterness. And it's a choice. I said it the last time I preached. You know, unforgiveness is like drinking your own poison and expecting someone else to die. You know, if you remember nothing else, remember that. You know, with my boss there, all bitter and twisted towards the principal because she, you know, put him aside. It's not killing the principal. It's killing my boss. He's no longer my boss. He's, you know, he's moved on. So wherever it is that has wounded you, if you're still carrying that stuff around in you, it's not wounding the person it's directed towards. It's wounding you. You know, if... if you will forgive, it can release you from the past. 
One of the most powerful things I've experienced in the last four or five weeks. James, he says this, he says this, 516. Therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man, woman is powerful and effective. Here's the thing. We normally will confess our sins to God in private. But what I found in my own walk, you know, I had some issues and as people at work, they, they wounded me, they betrayed me, they sinned against me, right? And it rankled me. It rankled me. I mean, you know, uh, I had some attitudes. Anyway, I came along, I think it was Wednesday night, oh, and we came for the healing place uh, that was just the three of us. And no one else turned up, but we were there. And I was talking to them, and then I thought, share it then, share it. You know, they're here, get them to pray for you. So these folks who kind of tried to do the dirty on me and stab me in the back, I just said, okay, look, guys, will you pray for me? Explain the situation. And the funny thing is, as I just released forgiveness to the individuals and, they, and made the confession to other than myself, so publicly, and they prayed for me, it's like it just lifted off of me. Lifted off of me. Get this, folks. When, you know, if you're in a small group, or you're in a, you, you've got a group of people that you pray with regularly, and you have unforgiveness in your heart towards someone, and, or there is something that is in your heart that you know that's right, if you can be willing to, sh- to confess that amongst that group of people that you're secure, and they pray for you, you will be healed. And I'm not just talking physical, but emotional. It's powerful, friends. And it's also the, the environment which, which God loves to send revival or visitation. When we as a people get real with each other and start to confess our sins one to another and pray for another. Because that's a community where it's safe, where there's love, where there's compassion, where there's mercy and not judgment. That's one of our values here. Therefore, forgiveness and confession releases physical and emotional healing. Let God heal the past. Isaiah 61, 2 to 3. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn in Zion and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You know, the Lord wants to comfort those of us who mourn, who are depressed, who are grieved. You know, many a time we are looking to find comfort in the wrong places, but God wants to come. And if you're depressed, if you are heavy of heart, if you find it hard to be positive about the future, he wants to come and he wants to take that from you. He wants to release you from that. He came to bind up the broken heart. He came to proclaim liberty to those who are depressed. Downcast. He wants to provide hope instead of despair. And as we look into the new year, and if you are looking at the economic situation, if you are looking at what's happening in the newspapers, as Chris was saying, man, you would be depressed. You know, Woolworths closed after 99 years. 
I remember picking mix. I remember my mum saying to me, yes, you could buy one pound. For one pound, you could buy some milk, tea, biscuits, and, you know, and all that stuff. Some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. It's gone. And they're saying that at least 14 to 15 other retailers may well disappear in the next year. So if you look out there for hope, there isn't any. But you know, here's the wonderful thing. That while it's getting darker out there, in here the light is shining brighter. Yes, amen. Thank you, brother. Amen. It's got some black blood in it. <laughs> yeah. In here is, you know, we are at such a time as this, we're at the right time and the right place. Because you see, here in St. Albans, where most people have been working in the city, you know, they leave when neither man nor beast should be on the road, I early. They come home and they only know their children from the photograph. <laughs> yeah. And they drive nice cars and they're out there, you know, we're too sure. And all of a sudden now, the nice job in the city has disappeared. They are not going to Tuscany for their holiday. They are wondering what they're going to do next. And here are the people of God. And while there's darkness out there, there's hope in here. While in the land of Gershon there was light, there was darkness in Egypt. We are the people that have the answers. I just believe that what's happening out there isn't Satan, it's God. He's actually setting things up for us to move in, to bring our message of hope. That it's not about your salary. It's not about how much you earn. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus, that he is the one that provides in good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over. And if you come to him, yes, he may not give you all the money in the bank, but he'll give you hope that this life is not the life. There is a life thereafter, which is more important. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So he wants to give people hope instead of despair. He wants to give people joy instead of sadness. You're going to be going out into the community and there's going to be sadness out there. And we need to be able to put an arm around their shoulder. We don't want to come out with religious platitudes. But we just need to be able to listen and give them hope. Come with us and we'll do you good. Come with us and we'll do you good. And what we saw on Christmas Eve there, I believe it's just the first fruits. You know, we thought 90, 250 turned up and it was packed. Do you know, if it took 20 years for us to get to, let's say, a thousand people, it's not going to take 20 to get us to the next thousand. Look, if you think this is, this, I'm just talking off my head, look at Acts chapter 2. 120, one sermon, 3,000. God can do that kind of stuff. Now, there are certain parameters that need to be in place. And one of the things I always think about is the fact that when they had that big cache of fish, well, you read about it in John's Gospel there, it said that the net did not break. And what I always think about is that the, the systems and the procedures are in place so that if God dumped 3,000 people on us, we wouldn't creak. We wouldn't be overwhelmed. The 120 absorbed the 3,000. You ever think about that? God can do that kind of stuff. And I'm telling you, next year's going to be phenomenal. And the next few years, vintage years. As we begin to see God bring people to our door that we would never have thought would have come here. Yeah? Hey, thank you. Oh, amen, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> right, next point. Find your why. For we are God's workmanship. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Created in Christ Jesus. 
to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do it. Now, what's this all about? Jesus, you come to Jesus or you find Jesus. Jesus saves you and you'll think, you think that the goal is, I'm going to heaven. Well, yes, yes, you are in time. But God has a purpose for you on earth. He didn't just put you in the street that you live or the office that you work at or the school that you teach in without a purpose. He has a purpose for you. Now, what you need to decide in your heart is this. Lord, this year, as I come to it, I'm going to find out what you put me here for. Now, not everybody's going to be on the platform doing what I do. But God has something for everybody to do. And if you find out what it is, and you can go on a purpose-driven life and find out there, but ask God, what is it, Lord, that you have for me to do here in this community? Proverbs says, where there's no revelation, the people are cast Cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the Lord. Or where there is no vision, the people perish. Purpose gives you passion and focus so that you make the right choices. And you see, we need to find out our why. We need to find out what we're here for so that we have some focus in our lives. More often or not, what happens is if you've got no focus and you're not going anywhere, well, why discipline your life? Yeah? But when you've got purpose, when you have focus, when you have a sense of what it is that God has for you to do, then it gives you a focus that you didn't have before. You're prepared to do things that, you're not prepared, that you weren't prepared to do before, to have discipline in areas where you were undisciplined, for the purpose, for the reason. You know, some people would love to be up here, but you know what James says, he said, not, not, not many of you become teachers, for unto you is the stricter judgment. In other words, there's a price to pay to come up here. It just means that for the purpose of being here, you discipline your life in such a way so that you can be an effective vessel, an instrument in God's hand. Paul put it like this. He said, I'm, this is talking to Agrippa, Acts chapter 26. I am Jesus. Jesus, he's, he's going there to you know, persecute the church and he's talking to Agrippa and this is what he says. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to anoint you as a servant, as a witness of what you have seen of me, seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. This is Paul. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are being sanctified by faith. And this is what Paul says. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Just as Chris and Fliss have not been disobedient to what God showed them to do at the beginning of their life, their ministry. You need to have something that keeps you on track. You need to find out what you're here for. You know, if God wanted to take you to heaven, then he'd just baptize you, shoot you with a gun, and you'd go straight there. It would be easy. <laughs> you know? It, you know, that sounds terrible. I know, so please forgive me. But it, it has more to it. Church, it's not just a matter of just come to church and do your religious duty. God has a purpose. He saved you for something. So find your why. Finally, press on into the future. Oh, yes. Philippians 3, 13 to 14. Sometimes we sing this. Brothers, this is Paul. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. 
toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul had such passion that he wasn't afraid of death. He said, for me to live, to die is gain, but for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. In other words, he, the, the, the vision, the passion of, of, of fulfilling that for which God apprehended him in Christ Jesus was so strong in him that death didn't bother him. In fact, I'm almost feeling that Paul was saying, well, when I'm ready to die, I will die. In other words, when I've done the job, then I'm going home. And he knew he hadn't done the job. And Chris and I were talking, and I said, look, you know, don't, I'm coming up to like 50 years of age now, and I've kind of met people who, their attitude towards kind of serving God is very much like, well, I've done one meeting this week, and maybe two, but oh, not three. That would be too much, really. You know, I have so much other things to do. I'm not being facetious. But here's the point. Why measure it out? How are you going to serve God? Give him little bits of your time. I, I, I don't want to wait till I'm retired to serve God. Man, I want to give it all. And then go. You know, there's an example in the scriptures of Elisha. Not Elijah, Elisha. Now, he did some phenomenal miracles, and he was in the northern kingdom. And at the end of his life, he died, and they buried him. And there was a war, and his bones are actually in the grave. And what happens is they throw this guy into Elisha's grave, and he, boom, becomes alive and runs out of the grave. Now, I said to Lord, what's going on here? Look, Elisha hadn't fulfilled the mission because there was still power left in him. So that when the dead man touched him, he came alive again. I want no power in me. And when someone throws anything on me, they stay dead because it's all gone. It's all gone. It's all gone. The power's gone. You know, when I've finished, it's gone. I've done the job. There's no power left in me, man. My last dying breath, that's it. I'm done. But Elijah still had power in him. Even when he was dead, he hadn't fulfilled the mission. Now give it all, because remember, you're storing up treasure in heaven. This isn't the main event. This is just preparation for the main event. Thank you. So then, the past can be in the past. God calls us to strain towards the goal, the prize, for which he has called us. Why? Ah, and it came out of the prophetic word this morning. See, the former things have taken place. In other words, this is Isaiah 42.9, some of the things have happened. What's happened this year, what's happened in the last 20 years are done. They're done. They're done. And new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. God wants to do a new thing. And I'm excited because I believe that God's getting us ready for one of the biggest visitation revivals we've ever seen. Because as it gets darker out there, the light begins to shine. Yes, and in St. Albans now, things are getting stirred up. There's a community of people who've been, God has been preparing and getting ready over the last 20 years for the moment 
that he can say, right, send them in. Right? And the people start to come. And we are ready as a community to receive them with the love and the mercy and the compassion of the Father. Give them hope in the midst of their despair. Bring them to a new level that they might begin to see that there is life. And it's not about how much you have or how much salary you have. It's about knowing Jesus and having a purpose and understanding that God called you for more than just to make money. Yes. He called you that we might be effective as a community to communicate his love, his compassion, and his mercy. And you know the thing that's going to make the difference? Presence of God. (laughs) Well, I mustn't go there because I'm coming to the end of the sermon now. (laughs) (laughs) And that's for another day. But God wants to do new things. I'm excited. So you know what? Wherever you are, whatever has happened to you to this moment, it's all this. All of this is to set you up for a future that's different from the past that you've had. So whatever it is, if you've lost loved ones, I know some of you have. If you've experienced lack, and some of you have. If you've experienced difficulties, some of you have. If you've experienced great things, some of you have. I know, you know, for this year, Eileen wanted a job to work with kids, and she's got the job. November, LS, you know, learning support assistant. It's the job that she almost wanted. And the lady said to her, you know, a glove that fits really well. Will you fit in just like a glove? That's God. You know, our daughter graduated this year. That was great. Okay. So there's been good things and bad things. But everything that you've gone through is to prepare you for this moment. So that the past is going to be different. The future is going to be different because of all the things that you've been through. Because your past is no longer your future. Should we stand? Father, we bless you. Could band come up, please? Father, we want to thank you and bless you this morning that you have such a tremendous future for us. That our Lord Jesus is just waiting in heaven to come, as it were, into the earth to receive that which is already his. And Lord, we thank you for every trial, for every difficulty, for every success that we have had in the last year. And we know, Lord, this is all to prepare us for the future that you have for us as a community, and as a people. And Lord, we commit ourselves to making sure, Lord, that we live out of the future that you have for us and not out of the past. We ask your God that you will help us as a community. Where you've touched our hearts this morning and we need to release forgiveness, then Lord, we pray that we will receive that forgiveness. Lord, we pray this morning that wherever we are hurting, we will allow you to pour in the oil and the wine. And Father, as we as a community who are healed and who are held by your love and your mercy begin to move into this new year, we ask you, Lord, that we may be a light set upon a hill, that we might give hope to those who are despairing, that we might be able to inspire confidence that our God, who sent his son Jesus in the fullness of time, God contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man has come that we might have life and that life which is eternal. Lord, we bless you and we praise you as a community this morning that you hold the future and our confidence is in you. Blessed be your name. Amen.